What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Fish Lift Eat podcast. We thank you for joining in for another another ride with us here today. You know, we got a little bit of a different looking crew with us today. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to get to to introduce Chad first. You know, everybody knows Chad as the uh, as the guy in the background that usually has a full time job at trying to make me look good and sound good. And, God bless him for that. But uh, we get to we get to talk to Chad a little bit today. So what's up, Chad? Hey, how's it going, Casey? Good man. Yeah. So uh, we got we got a guest joining us tonight that uh, that I'm gonna give Chad the honors of introducing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we were always talking about finding good fishermen, and uh, you know, uh, bass fishermen, of course, is right up your alley. So uh, reached deep into our family and uh, uh, pulled out Jacob Burke. He's a uh, my cousin's son, and he's probably one of the best fishermen I've ever met. So, Jacob, it's good to have you with us, buddy. Thanks for having me. Dude, we're fired up to have you on here, especially me, because, you know, th- these guys like to overrun me with fly fishermen and, you know, talking about these, these trout fish and the, trout fishing in the mountains and streams and stuff like that. And it, it's cool because I get to learn to learn a lot of stuff that I don't, I'm not exposed to, but I've always, uh, I've always enjoyed whenever we've been able to get a get another bass fisherman on here. So, looking forward to to really getting a chat with you. Same here. So let's uh let's let's give our listeners just a little bit of background about you, Jacob. Kind of uh, what you do, how you got to be there, and uh, what uh what you got going on in in fishing right now. All right. So I'm from Colorado. I fish ABAs. I started fishing for bass particularly in early high school and then progressed all the way up to college and collegiate level fishing for a MLF off series, which is the American bass. We've been fishing Pueblo and have been attempting to go out of state. We just hit Lake or we were just in Kansas not too long ago. And then now we're looking at either going out to Lake Havasu or Clear Lake in California. Thank you, man. That's awesome. So you get to be a part of that, you know, I know in the last, it seems like at least in the last three or four years, just college bass fishing in general has really caught a lot of steam. Um, it has. I mean, I know there, there, there was always those powerhouses that you used to, you know, you'd see the guys show up at the classic and the, on the elite series that came out of, out of a few, um, out of a few schools, but it seems like now it's just, it's blown up across the country. Um, you know, a lot, a lot more people kind of, even coming from like the high school level too, just more people wanting to get involved with it now and, and more opportunity to, uh, to kind of get involved in some, some high level tournament fishing. It has definitely blown up in the past five years. It seems like every lake has more and more tournaments happening. More and more boats are showing up and it's great. It's nice to see the sport boom come to a giant apex that hopefully won't come down for the next couple decades yeah there's definitely a you know there's two sides to the to the outlook on on the level of fishing or on the attention that tournament bass fishing's gotten over the last few years you got some people that that complain about the lakes being so full and and so many people getting into it now but i kind of fall on the side like i love it like I think the more the more people that get involved with it is the more that we're able to kinda, you know, have be able to contribute to to these organizations and have input. Um, 
around these around the tournaments that we're going to that are going to be able to make them be even better you know 10 years from now yeah it's it's nice to see it happening more people are getting into it which is great to see because when i started back in high school there was 10 15 people that would bass fish that i knew entirely and now it's in the 20s 30s 40s 50s i know come out here and fish for bass particularly yeah, I'll age myself a little bit, but like when I was in high school, the the thought of getting to to have a, a school sanctioned bass fishing team was just non-existent. Like that was what I mean. We played basketball, baseball, football, all that, but like we were skipping practice and stuff to go to go fishing. So and now kids are getting to uh, they're getting to experience that at a young level and even go to college for it. You know, much like yourself where that was you know i was getting in trouble in high school because whatever i was supposed to be doing i was skipping out on it so i could go fishing and yeah it's it's become something crazy to see especially growing up in the generation where it's starting to happen and high school is starting to let us go for it then college is now finally getting into some of these bigger tournaments with the bass opens and i know quite a few guys that are going into mlfs that are just coming out of college and starting to get into MLF series. Oh yeah. I mean, like even me, you know, going to some of these BFLs that I fish, like, you know, I'm, I'm talking to kids all the time that are, you know, on, you know, Auburn's team, Emmanuel's team, um, all these college teams that are, you know, they're, they're fishing their college stuff, but then they're also, you know, being like a sole member, you know, fishing independently, on these other trails, you know, trying to make a name for themselves that way as well. And it's just, it's awesome. I'm kind of jealous of them to an extent just because of the time they're able to, to spend on the water, you know, yeah. they're, you know, I'm having to work during the week and they're, they're talking about how, you know, being on the water four to five days a week, fishing all these different tournaments. I'm like, Man, y'all just, y'all just don't know how good you got it. Yeah. I'm part of that crew that is thankful for that. Uh, we fish ABAs as our main, and then we've split off into do TBF and BSS as well. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, when, uh, when, when did you start, start tournament fishing? How old were you? I was a sophomore in high school. So 16 for tournaments. Okay. And what, I mean, was that like a, a local level or were you fish? Did you jump right into some? big organization jumped right into abas started off first tournament at 15 boats so for where i'm located it's a fairly mediocre sized tournament but our lakes aren't 20 30 miles long we have three and a half miles to fill 20 to 30 boats right now wow i think it's pretty competitive very (laughs) two to three boats on one point usually that's crazy because like down here on on Hartwell and stuff, you know, blasting off into two hundred plus boat tournaments not is not uncommon at all. No. <laughs> and then the bad the bad part about that is you may be blasting off of a, a two hundred boat tournament, and then there's a two hundred boat high school tournament or or an ABA or, or something like that on the lake the same day. So it's it's not uncommon to have you know five hundred tournament boats on the, on Hartwell on the same yeah. day. It's what we're trying to get into, though. 
Oh yeah, that that's what makes it fun. And you know, we keep all the keep all the gas stations in business around here with how much running around we have to do. But uh it's just part of it. So uh tell us a little bit about um about what you what you got going on at the college level right now. Kind of what what's this season looking like? What's on right the now for Colorado, we're in the off season. We're letting the cold waters drop right now. We just got our first snow of the year that just hit a little bit harder. Waters are in the 50s right now for now. By the end of this weekend, it'll probably be in the high 40s, which usually is really good for that jerkbait bite, but it's not supposed to stop snowing for a couple of days. And then that's going to drop the waters, my guess, 45 degrees. Still catch all, but we've already been having our separation for a month. We've had a 40-degree change in air temp to a 20-degree temp change in water. Oh, wow. So the lake's turned over, has been for about two weeks, and it's still good, but it's tough. So when I know down here, we, we see the, the turnover kind of start happening mid-October. Is that kind of, uh, kind of what y'all see as well, or is it a little bit later? We usually get around mid to late October or early November around here. So for, for our listeners out there that, you know, we're talking about a late turning over for anybody that don't really know what we're talking about is think about like your, your water temperatures in your col in your water columns and stuff. And that, that cold water and that warmer water kind of, kind of flipping places, you know, kind of oxygen and stuff being released out of the bottom of the lake and, um, basically changing over the water column and that is a that's a big transition that we have to deal with in bass fishing just because of uh you know that where fish want to stage up and you know what kind of cover they're they're setting up on now whenever the the oxygen levels are changing and the water temperature um is changing drastically and they really it really affects with um pushing them into those winter patterns so just for, for anybody that's wondering what we're talking about with, with lakes turning over, that's kind of the down and dirty of what it is. So Jacob, um, what does the, what's the, what's the fall to winter transition look like there? Like, I know, I, know da- I know down here we're, I mean, you, you, you kind of hit on the jerkbait, but like that, that's huge down here too. Um, I actually just, you know, a couple hours ago, I sat here and was, was having to put new hooks on my jerk baits just cause that's, they've been, they've been getting chewed pretty hard lately. But, um, you know, when are you seeing fish already kind of, kind of getting into those winter patterns kind of early with y'all's drastic water temp changes? Like, is it, we schooling up deep? What, what, what are they doing out there? So for our lake, a, we have a lot of walls. So we have a lot of walls and a lot of trees that sit off on, uh, on a heavy offshore flats. So we'll usually find our small mountain spots in 20 to 25, which fairly deep. It's hard to get a jerkbait bite off of them, but you can still pick off a few of the kicker smallmouth on some of the chunk rock and walls that they're just sitting on. The largemouth, they actually tend to sit 10 to 15 in some of the heavier wood that we have. So they'll send the brush piles or some of our thicker trees that are sitting 20, 30 feet, but they're suspended in 10 to 15. I got you. What's the, what's the main uh, bait fish source out there? Shad and bluegill are our mains. 
Okay, so that's, that's pretty similar to what we got. So where I'm at, we're around a lot of um, like, um, heron lakes. Yeah. So, you know, every, every, everything I fish, you know, at least 99% of it's all, all blueback heron. And um, kind of same thing, though. You know, we, we you got, which ours, it's pretty cool. When you get in the wintertime, you'll, you'll have largies kind of schooling up with the spots. So that, that's kind of the fun thing. Um, I don't know how much um, forward-facing sonar you use, but, you know, whenever I come up on some of these brush piles and, and rock piles and stuff and have a, have a good school out there, especially kind of into the winter transition, um, man, you, you just, you, you'll see a school there and you might have a, have 40 pound and a half spots and there'll be like a, a four or five pound largemouth in there with them. And it's always that kind of, you know, you drag a drop shot through them or something like that and lean into it and go, uh-oh. Yeah, it, it's the exact same. We get a few largemouth that mix in. They tend to be like solos, but we actually get a lot of our smallmouth mix in with them too. So it's the same thing. You'll get a pound and a half to two pound spot and you'll hook up into a four and a half pound smallie. Yeah, on a drop shot. You're not ready. Too. Yeah. That's my favorite thing. Actually, like, so the the plaque I got behind me right there, I won it, and that that's for um, for big bass. I wanted the BFLs last year, and it was pretty funny. It was it was on a brush pile. It's about eighteen to twenty foot deep on Hartwell, and we'd already caught like you know two or three fish out of the brush pile, and uh, actually kind of caught it on like a Demiki rig. And all of a sudden, like five and a half pound largemouth just come out and gulped it. Yeah, we had, I had a similar thing. It was in our second to last tournament. We just finished in, which is a second place overall. And we were catching two pound spots, pitching jigs up against a bluff wall. And like you said, the largemouth mixing with the spots. And I pulled a three and three quarter largemouth on a jig off the wall. Same spot we were catching, you know, your average spot, and then pulling a little bit bigger largemouth or a smallmouth. Same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's, it's, you never know what they're going to do when they get in winter and they get schooled up, but uh, that's part of the fun of it. You know, people, a lot of times people are getting off the lake at that time. At least they are down here. That's why I love winter fishing so much because you don't have to fight as much boat traffic but at the same time some of the best fish i've caught have, have been in those, those winter months yeah um un, un, unfortunately it's kind of when whenever i'm pre-fishing for you know the season kickoff in january i don't know when it kicks off out there you know i think i think my first tournament my first bfl this year is like uh like january 27th or something up on lake kiwi so you know spending a lot of time right now riding around on these lakes that we're going to be at in those those first few and um you'll catch some fish that are that you're not expecting to in ways that you're not that, that they really shouldn't bite because um it, they, they get schooled up out there and just do some do some weird stuff but it's what makes it fun yeah uh, out here our season usually starts in february or march so not too much later but during those tournaments our waters are 41 to 42 degrees so we're looking for 25 to 30 feet for suspended spots. So I'll throw you a kicker here. The, the first lake that um, that I've got to go to in January 
it'll be cold. Don't get me wrong. I, I know last year when we were on that lake in January, it was like 27. But the water tent can in places will be pushing 60 because it's a it's a there's a power plant on the lake. So whenever they're they're cycling water through there, cooling off those like nuclear reactors and stuff, it. Like you'll you'll have fish thinking about spawning in January on that lake. It's it's bizarre, but yeah. um, it's it's really cool because you can go to different parts of the lake and it's a lot colder, obviously. So you you find fish in those hard winter patterns schooled up, but then you can go, you'll find largemouth already pushing up like way shallower than they should be at that time of year, and um, that's where we go chase those kicker bites for that. Yeah, will you? We don't get the same water temps, but we've found some of our bigger largemouth and smallmouth shallower than they should be, even with 41 degrees. We found them in 10 feet of water in 41 degrees. And they're not yeah, supposed to we, go yet. Yeah, I know we've, we've got a population of largemouth that are just, they're resident shallow. Like, I know we, we went through the dock. It was, it was, I mean, they were getting close to pre-spawn. It was like end of February. And um, for whatever reason, we had a real sunny day. We had some fish that were pushing up on boat docks pretty good on Hartwell. So we, we, we were skipping some docks and stuff like that, just kind of kind of checking them in some areas. And there was a back little pocket on one. And we, I threw up on it. It was in inches of water. Like, it, I'm not even talking feet. And, like, there was a five-pound largemouth just up there, just a bluegill eater just hanging out up there. And, you know, by the color of the fish, you can tell like they just that fish has never been deep a day in its life. Yeah, um, you know that it's one of, if you wanted a fish to put to make a replica of, it's one of those because wow. it's. I mean, he was so pretty. Just but I mean, he was just light with the hard hard black marks down his down his main line, and you can just tell the fish they they never move out and. It's just a matter of rolling up in the right pocket and finding those resident fish that are just staying there. Yeah, uh, when I was in Kansas in early August, almost every single fish for the tournament we were in, which is a TBF between New Mexico and Colorado, every single fish came out of less than two feet of water. And one of the better ways to get them for me was a spinnerbait up in a foot of buckbrush because we found out on accident on one of the spinnerbaits I was throwing, I caught a crappie. I caught a crappie during my pre-fish and we figured if the crappie are in a foot of water, it means those bass, especially some of those big kicker largemouth, are going to be sitting in that foot buckbrush eating some bigger swim baits or they're in the stumps. Yeah. And they were there. Multiple kicker, four, five, six pound largemouth are sitting in stumps. It's pretty funny talking about the um, when we catching bycatch. We actually went to whenever I was pre fishing for um, that tournament last year in January. You know, checking I found a bunch of a bunch of bait up shallow, so we were checking it, and I ended up catching a probably the biggest trout I've ever seen in my life. I ended up catching two of them, actually. You know, I've, I've talked about it on here a couple times, but it was just, it was like that light, that light bulb went off, right? Like, man, there's there's trout up here. That means if there's big trout, there's little trout too. So I bet we've got some trout eaters up here in this, up the river right here. So then 
I was then I went and like tied a Huddleston on for the tournament and, and all kind of stuff. But uh, never caught anything on it. But it was, you know, the the clues you can you can pull from catching a fish that has absolutely nothing to do with with the target species. You know, catching a trout or catching a crappie or anything like that. It, it can clue you into what what the bass might be doing. And that's that's a lot of times the difference in, in getting paid or not, or even winning the tournament, because finding those little subtle differences that's going on that maybe nobody else has picked up on. Yeah, so one of the techniques we use to pre-fish out here is we'll throw a big glide or just a 9 or 10 inch HUD and see what fish peel off bottom. Because if okay. they're chasing the bigger trout or bigger bluegill, we're going to sit on those fish a little bit longer because if they're willing to chase and even try and eat, those are the fish that we were trying to get for those tournaments. We've had multiple days where we weren't catching anything for pre-fish, and then we decided to slow down a little bit and fish big glide slow on live, and we'd see 10, 20, 30 fish come peel up off bottom in 30 feet of water, just come stare at this glide. Oh, yeah, that's... Can't remember. I think it was when we had when we had Bailey Stone on. We were talking about that. Like one of my favorite pre-fishing lures is, is just a glide. Um, you know, whether it be a, a Chad Shad or also like a big bodied like um, OG from from Clutch, just because of the pulling power that it has. You know, especially whenever you're going up shallow, trying to uh, find some productive pockets and ditches and stuff like that, where you can go find those largemouth. If you want to take an inventory of what's in an area like throw that big bait like yeah. you may not eat it but, but you can you'll know exactly what's in there because especially if you're going to utilize four face sonar you know you, you can see what it pulls up out of the brush piles or off the bottom or you know out from under docks or lay downs it's it's crazy what those big baits will pull but i feel like it's kind of a i think there's more people using them now than there used to be but there's still there's still a lot of people that are just scared it's, to throw them for There's not reason. many that are looking to throw them to pre, for a pre-fish or during tournaments. Especially up here. We have a lot more throwing soft bodies. So we'll find yeah. a lot of people throwing either little Spro Chad Chad or the 68 HUD. Mm-hmm. And they'll get bit, but you won't get a hookup. Because a lot of the fish that are eating and chasing those are your pound and a half, two pound spots, which are having a hard time getting those trebles in. Or getting a full jig hook in. But we follow up with a 9 to 10 inch glide if we can. We've been using a swerve lately. And it pulls up some of those bigger largemouth. That will come oh. up and see. Yeah. That's, man. I, it, it, you know, in spotted bass fisheries, you know, it, it's hard to get on like a hard, like on a good, good glide bait bite. But I, it's probably one of my favorite ways to catch them. Yeah, I had a buddy custom make a small glide specifically for the spotted bass we have. Brand new, took it out. Three casts later, I got two and a half pound spot. Yeah. Three casts in, they were already on it. No affiliation with them or anything, but one that I've picked up recently that I've started throwing for, that I've caught a lot of spotted bass on is the darter that uh, Clutch Swimbaits makes. It's a... It's a very shad-like profile, and for whatever reason, it's, it's a little bit slimmer than like a, like a Chad Shad or anything like that. 
but it's still like a like a chop bait kind of thing. And it, man, it anything from a I've caught you know two pound spotted bass to seven pounds largemouth on it. Like if you're on a heron lake or you know just some kind of even like big gizzard chat or anything like that, it's that's one that's done done some damage for me here lately. Yeah. Uh, so that's cool. All right, so we, we, we've hit on, you know, some techniques and stuff to give people a little bit of tidbits. So where, what year are you in college? Uh, I'm in my second year right now. You're in your second year. So you got, you know, two more to look forward to after this. What's your, what's, what's your fishing plans after college? Uh, after college, I'm going to head down to either Missouri or Georgia and look at BFLs and MLFs. If that doesn't work out, I'm going to go down to Texas and see if I can get some of the opens for the BSS down there. Or up north, I'm going to go check out either Lake St. Clair or Lake Michigan for some of the big smallmouth and largemouth. So your plans after college is definitely to pursue you know, competitive fishing. Yeah. Try for a few years. If I can get to work, I can get to work. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Basically, that's why I have to work multiple jobs so that I can keep up with my bass fishing addiction. No, that's awesome. So, do you have a you got a preference? You got BASS or MLF that you like the organization better? Where you think you got a better, you know, a better shot of where you want to spend most of your time? Probably MLF. I see more people in it. I know more people in it. I can, I get along with the guys that are in MLF a bit more. I like how the rules are a little bit, they're a little bit tighter on everything than BASS as well, which is yeah. nice to see. So I'll, I'll, obviously I'm a fan of MLF because that's, that's what I'm fishing primarily right now. Obviously there, there's a, in the back of my head, I want to fish a classic. I want to fish the Elite Series, stuff like that, just because that's what we grew up on, or at least that's what I grew up on. Yeah, same you know, here. I want to fish a classic, but... But here, here's my thing. When when I got when I was sitting down one day, I was like, okay, I'm going to dedicate a lot of time. I'm going to invest a lot of money into trying to, uh, to make something of this. MLF just kind of had more options for the, you know, the quote-unquote working man, you know, with the BFLs. Yeah. You know, especially now, you know, we had Trevor Nugent on um, a couple of weeks ago. He's he's fishing the EQs, you know, and that's his, his goal is basically he's gonna he's gonna fish the EQs until he either makes the Elite Series or you know runs out of money, and and that's awesome. I applaud those guys, but like I don't have nine weeks of vacation that I can take a year to go, you know, because that's the only way you can qualify for the Elite Series now is you've got you know travel all over the country and fish these nine opens and finish in the top nine you know bfls at least create you an opportunity to where you can fish close to home you know entry fees are affordable payouts are decent but then it allows you to qualify into more things so if you you know you, you pick your trail that's that's closest to home you know on familiar lakes finish in the top 45 then you can go fish the regional 
then if you finish in the top six of your people in the, the regional, you can qualify for the All-American. Win the All-American, then you're in Red Crest, the Toyota Series Championship, et cetera. So it, yeah. it's, it, it, it opens so many doors to where, you know, I, I feel like the working man kind of has a, has a chance to, to do something with that. You know, a guy that I fish against, fished against last year, um, Emil Wagner, you know, he kicked my butt all year and he's just a hammer around here. Well, he won the all American and now he's, you know, fishing in red crest next year in the Toyota. He fished Toyotas as well, but then, you know, he's already in the Toyota series championship and like he, he's going to fish at a high level and, you know, was able to qualify into that stuff from, you know, BFLs. Which now he's he's winning now. He's going to fish the EQs next year, so more power to him. But yeah. you know, I just I feel like you know there there's stuff about bass that that I love that I think they do extremely well, and in certain things I think they do better than MLF. But I feel like for the position that I'm in, for what I'm wanting to try to accomplish, I think MLF gives me the best opportunity at that right now. Just because even beyond you know BFLs and the Toyotas. Then you've got the Invitationals. Then you got the Bass Pro Tour, which they're getting chopped down this year. But um, I just feel like it creates a lot more opportunity for for people to go in and be successful. Yeah, they have a lot more different series that you can go fish because they they're one of the few big tournament series that you can actually come up north and fish some tournaments. Mm -hmm. BSS. They only have it in Michigan for the most part. Michigan and then Northern California. But okay. MLF is spread all the way to Colorado, Maine, Michigan, New York, which is nice to see because there's a lot of big bass up in Michigan and Maine, and they don't get touched. So it's nice to see people that know their lakes can get into something and then win it back get the term experience without having to travel 30, 40 hours to come fish a tournament. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing where I'm lucky at with the, like the Savannah river trail. I know this year they added Clark's Hill to it. And that's, I'll, it, it's funny. I almost gripped about it because it's like, Oh, I got to travel two hours to a tournament this year, you know, for the, for the qualifier trail. But I mean that like that's that's where MLF kind of shines, right? Because that that's the furthest I'm gonna have to travel for the five qualifier tournaments that I have to fish is you know two hours. Yeah, for TBF we had to do a six-hour drive to go over into Wilson Lake, Kansas, and our next year we'll be in Mexico. So we're oh, gonna wow. have to drive ten hours just to get there for a regional. So I'm a little jealous. Uh, qualifiers two hours. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm complaining, but I'm not really complaining, right? Like that's 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 what I love about about MLF is they make it to where you know I'm married with two kids, working full time job and stuff like that. But it's, MLF still creates an opportunity for me to be able to go chase this dream of uh, you know fishing at a high level. So that's I applaud them for, for doing that because that takes resources that we don't, as, as anglers, always take into consideration the, the staff that MLF has to provide at all these multiple events and 
um, all the planning that goes into bid all these different venues. Because what that means is if they're doing that for, you know, my area, MLF has so many, you know, regional trails or, you know, qualifier trails in the BFL series that, I mean, they're putting on a good, a good operation. Right? You know, they're putting on a very well-planned, well-managed event all over the country that way. And that takes staff, that takes equipment, that takes resources that, you know, for what they're, what they're charging us for entry fees is, I mean, is, is really fair in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, that's one nice thing for us too, is the ABAs, it's not too bad. Everyday person can come out here. I mean, the furthest thing you'll have to do is either drive at the Havasu or Clear Lake, but that's the Bass Cat Shootout. So you have that opportunity to win big and then see where it can go from there. So it's nice to see that because to qualify for that, you have to fish six tournaments with the same partner. But you can go out, fish and travel to go try something new, go someplace new. I mean, Clear Lake, California, and Lake Havasu in Arizona are both big bass factories. They are well fished, but they're also well maintained. Yeah. That's cool. So what, uh, let's see, I'm wondering if, if up there, just kind of the way your lake set up, what's, what's your style of fishing? Like if you could go out on a lake and do, you know, catch them exactly how you want to, what, what does that look like? So a lot of what I do is a little different. I don't like to go finesse out here. So I'll, everyone is switching over to a jig or a net rig. I'm actually going to pick up a big crankbait. Okay. On Lake Pueblo, I have a really good crankbait bite through the fall and into the early winter. And I can get my limit in a couple casts. And I can find out that where the schools are. I know how they're going to react to it. I can go a couple weeks in a row, fill a limit in an hour. Big crankbait out here is super underrated. Uh, everyone I know it doesn't go over like a five XD, mm-hmm. and I go up to an eight, and I'll whack them for hours. Yeah. How much? Uh, how much are you relying on electronics? Not too much. Mm-hmm. So in the early spring, I'll rely on it a bit more. I don't really use forward facing to follow fish at all. I mainly use it to follow the contours a little bit tighter than what mapping can do. Cause a lot of mapping systems sadly aren't up to date with a lot of the lakes in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Cause we have a lot of drainage out here. So some of the points that you'll see that are saying 10, 15 feet will be in a foot or two of water. So I like to use my port facing to find out where the contours are and go off of that rather than targeting specific fish. Yes, I definitely rely on Alaska a little bit more than that. Yeah, that's a big, you know, that's a big debate right now in fishing, right? On if if port facing sonar should be banned in tournaments or not. And uh, I'm definitely one of the one of the proponents for it just because I use it so much selfishly. But, uh, 
you know, the, the way our lake's set up, I mean, I, fi I fish a lot of offshore brush piles and cane piles and, and stuff like that. And it just, uh, I don't know, it really helps me be more, you know, effective throughout the day just to where I'm not spending, you know, time that I used to waste in an area, um, you know, wondering if fish are there, wondering if they're biting what I'm throwing. It just, it, it allows me to be a lot more efficient now. So I definitely rely on electronics a lot on, uh, on these hair lakes. Yeah. I mean, if I'm trying to go and catch some bigger largemouth out of our lakes, I rely on it a lot more because a lot of the largemouth are either sitting in two, three feet of water in shallow buck brush, or they're sitting 12, 14 feet on brush piles and they'll eat an A-rig okay, but I tend to get them better on a Demiki. Just, Covering oh, Demiki right over top of them, and they'll come up and smash it. Demiki is one of those rigs that I I never threw anything. Like, I mean, I threw swim baits and stuff, obviously a lot. But then, you know, really go into that that Demiki with like a ninety degree line tie and stuff. That was when I really started diving into live scope and and things like that. That that slowly become probably one of my favorite ways to to catch them whenever. Whenever nothing, else, whenever nothing seems to work, like I feel like there's at any time of the year, I can put that little swim bait right over their head and, and catch them. My partner discovered it earlier this year in the spring, fishing with a couple of buddies of ours from Missouri, and we didn't know anything about it up here. So this fall, when we got our shad spawn done and over with, we got the shad balls out and main lake and they're finally getting into the secondary and primary points we just start using that because every single time i throw a crankbait a little swim bait or an a-rig we'd have 10 20 fish just sitting right under the prop of the boat mm -hmm. and we couldn't get them to eat a swim bait but we tried that and we just started catching a little bit higher quality fish too oh yeah yeah it's i mean you know, there, there, there's classics in the, you know, last couple of years that have, have been won on that style bait, right? You know, whenever, you know, Jason Christie won it up here on Hartwell, you know, a very well-known, well-accomplished shallow water spinnerbait fisherman, and he's out here on Lake Hartwell fishing that sonar minnow, you know, for, for suspended bass. Like, it's, it's crazy what, you know, dangling a little little swim bait over over a bass does to it it it's it, it, you got to use it yeah, like if, it's, you're gonna, if you're, if you're going to be a well-rounded angler and be able to compete at a high level it's just that it's that that extra little layer of of knowledge and experience you got to have to be able to adapt to your conditions and catch them yeah i'm very thankful for how pueblo fishes because a lot of the lakes here there it's the same thing you're throwing a little swim bait or throwing a jig all day Unless you're in the fall, then you're throwing a jerk bait occasionally. But out here, we can throw a rig, you can throw a big crank bait, you can throw a spinner bait, and catch them on popper, spook, buzz bait, frog. Basically, if you think about it, you can throw them here. I've been starting getting into some big flutter spoons, and I started catching really good spots off of suspended points. Mm -hmm. And I finally got into that, and it started working pretty well. Yeah, that's one thing I try to like challenge myself at least every year is pick up or 
really invest a lot of time in the, in the new technique every year. Like this past year, it was jigging spoons, you know, during the winter and even into the summer and stuff like that. It's because it was something that I had not primarily done a lot. I know a year before that, like, I spent a lot of time with a drop shot, which to a lot of people is probably a, a duh moment because everybody fishes a drop shot now. But prior to that, I had just not thrown it a lot. And um, so that was that was one thing that, that I tried to spend some time on just to where whenever, however conditions are setting up to where when I feel like that's something that's going to help me, at least I'm able to, to throw it and be effective with it. Yeah, it's... It's all a learning curve. You got to learn and try and master something at some point because every lake is going to have its certain days to where one day they are just going to eat a drop shot or a jigging spoon. You're not mm-hmm. going to have the bite available to go out and throw a jig on an offshore rock point. You're not going to have that. You're They're going to want that slower, bigger presentation. Yeah, and that's where, you know, it, being able to kind of bank up some knowledge is, is going to do us all favors in the long run just because, you know, the further we go with this, the more we're going to have to travel to different lakes, to different bodies of water that are all going to be setting up different. You know, being able to, to pull in and, and use different techniques is what's going to be the difference in, in being successful or not. So that's why, like, I'm – I try to go out on the lake every day and just feel like I'm an idiot because I want to, um, I want to, I always want to learn something. I always want to figure out something new that I didn't know before I went there, even if it's on my home lake. I mean, that's something that I can utilize in local tournaments too, where maybe it's something that nobody else is using, or maybe it's just a different kind of variation of a technique that everybody's using that opens up a whole nother, a whole nother bite that's not even, not even known so you know kind of always always want to learn and, and get better and be a well-rounded angler is is what's going to pay dividends in the future yeah i i'm pretty thankful for having the availability to fish one lake but it can fish so differently day to day because i yeah. can go a day throwing just a blade bait and put like picking off smallmouth. 25 feet of water to two days later, I can go up in two feet of water and flip a Texas rig up under a tree and there's going to be a two and a half pound largemouth sitting there. Yeah. You definitely got some diversity out there. The only thing, the only presentation I think doesn't work out here for me is punching. That's about it. Really? Yeah. There's not a whole, I mean, well, Somebody will crucify me for this, but like punching's not a. I know you can go, you can go over into like Alabama and stuff, relatively close to me, and I mean it's it's a big player, but on the lakes that I fish, it's it's not a player. I mean I'll flip like laydowns and stuff like that, but as for you know putting an ounce and a half tungsten on and actually having to punch through through mats and stuff like that, I, I don't do that. Yeah, I've been told. I need to get a little bit better at it because ABA is supposedly going to expand here in the next couple of years to go not just in to Clear Lake and Havasu. They're thinking about doing the Delta, California Delta, for one of their regional tournaments as well. And for Havasu and Delta, 
Perhaps you and the delta. It's you need to know how to punch. Yeah. That's just basis for those bodies of water. Yeah, that's that's punching in big bait territory right there. Have so up in the river, it's all mats. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Hey, one, you know, we're, we we've talked a lot about about techniques that we're using. So going into this time of year, at least on your bodies of water. If you were going to take a new angler, or say somebody that's not necessarily as uh, as well rounded in, in bass fishing as you, say you're going to take uh, take Chad here out on the lake. What is what's a technique or you know a, a high percentage bait that you would recommend you know people using and you know how how would it set up to where you would put them on to where they can go catch something? You know what so, what part of the what part of the lake? What kind of what kind of cover and the technique that you would recommend them using to go catch a fish for my home lake. It's one of three things for the winter time. I'm going to either go up into our dirtier water up towards the Western end of the lake and go with a spinnerbait up in 15 to 20 foot buck brush and have them bump the butt, bump the bush just to get a reaction strike out of them or throw a Demiki rig around top and hover it or drop shot for our little bit warmer fish that are resident in that 10 to 20 range. If I'm taking offshore points, I'm going with a bigger football jig or a smaller finesse jig or a drop shot. Then if I'm going clear water, I'm going primary or for like a primary point or my dam, I'm going to be throwing a jerk bait or a blade bait to get either reaction strike off of a blade bait on the bottom some of the stubborn fish that aren't going to come up. They want something slow, but it's still making noise. Or they're going to be on the suspended fish. And I'm going to throw a jerk bait almost all year for them. Those are all very, very good techniques. And that, those are techniques that you can use anywhere in the country when the conditions are up. That's awesome. So, man, across all your all your time spent so far in, in tournament fishing or just in any fishing in general, throw us out what you think your probably your, your, your best fishing moment was. Either your Price. biggest fish, your best moment. Just what's your, what's your most memorable fishing moment that comes uh, It was on a little lake up in Michigan, skipping docks with some mag drafts. I was skipping mag drafts on, underneath some docks. And it's my biggest to date that I've caught. And it's just over seven and a half. But I've had bigger follow up my mag drafts and glides. But that's the coolest one I've gotten so far is I was skipping a mag draft, pull off seven and a half that we saw underneath the pontoon that was tied up to the dock. And it was just looking to eat up in shallow water. That same day we were looking at offshore weed lines earlier in that morning and they were eating a drop shot. It was fours and fives that were sitting a little bit deeper that were eating a drop shot. And he was a lone wolf. We're putting him at seven and a quarter to seven and a half pounds, just looking for a big bluegill or a big crappie up shallow. That's awesome. Yeah, on a total sidebar there, don't you love how good a May drive skips? Yes, they... I was surprised when I first started doing it. They skip so good to be 
to be that big of a swim bait. I've, I, I've got, well, I've got the six and the eight inch and it's, that's, that's one of my favorite shallow water things, which do you use the, the freestyle or do you use the one with the, the magnet? That one was a freestyle because I wanted it a little okay. heavier. I was running yeah. a three eighths ounce on that one. Gotcha. And that's why I use yeah. out here too, because they're a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. I tend to use, you know, the one with the magnet a little bit more, you know, with the treble hook on the bottom to kind of the line through style, just because I feel like I was getting a lot. I tried to, uh, initially I used the freestyle, but I was getting a lot of just like fish swapping at it kind of. So I switched over and started using that treble hook and I feel like my, I hooked up to a lot more, but even, regardless of which style you use those things, they, they skip really, really well. And they're really efficient at, you know, covering, covering lay down stuff. So they're great. Are there, but I love them. They're a great pre-fish bait too. Cause you can catch basically any size on it. You can catch a 10 incher or you can catch a five or six pounder. Oh yeah. They're great for pre-fish. Yeah. So sidebar there. Christmas time's coming up. Y'all go eat your favorite anglers, you know, an arsenal of mag drafts. Oh man, that's awesome. Hey Chad, jump back on here. So Chad, what have you what have you taken from this? What if you you know, does this inspire you to go buy you a big ninety thousand dollar glitter bomb and go hit <laughs> go hit go hit the lake with us with live scope and, and just catch every bass inside? Oh, I think I need to go spend more time with Jacob and start learning the ins and outs. I, just the uh, terminology alone is something I have to learn. <laughs> but I've been looking at your Instagram and I've been kind of going through some photos and such, and it's kind of blowing my mind with some of the uh, pictures that you got of some of the fish that are out there. Jacob, tell us about this one. So that was one of the bigger wiper. I took a family friend out for a day to get him on his first ever one, which I got him to. I was, I had him throwing a little swim bait off the back and I got him a seven pounder. For his first ever one, good starter fish. I was messing around with my live scope up here, saw a bigger mark, and that was on an A rig. That one came in at just under 12. That was a 12 pound wiper for that one. But in recent years, we've started catching on chatterbaits a lot too, skipping chatterbaits. Really? Which has been really fun. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I have one other one that I had questions about. What about this one? So same technique, but that one ended up just crossing 13. My goodness. And what kind of fish is this total? It's a hybrid. Very well, a lot of people call hybrids, but it's a striper mixed in with a white bass. Huh. Wow. That's huge. Yeah, I, I've definitely learned that I need to spend a lot more time coming fishing with you. Chad, you know, we we spent all these people's time talking about tournament bass fishing and stuff. Let's let's throw a largemouth or a smallmouth or something up there just to let him plug that a little bit. Let's you know, see something, about- something that we would, something that we would put on the scales at least. So yeah. that was my first ever tournament that I was actually able to bring in a limit, and it was the day I found out. Don't ever trust a spotted bass on a scale. They, they will fool you every time. Every that spotted bass looks a lot heavier than that largemouth. 
Mm-hmm. That large hook is almost a half pound heavier, even though it doesn't look it. Yep, that's why a good scale on the boat will do you wonders on. If, if you're on a lake that's got a lot of spotted bass on it, like have you a good scale? Because I invested if, in if, that. If, you, if you don't, you will come into this. You will come into the weigh-in and be severely disappointed. I started bringing in. I invested in that Rapala, the fifteen pound scale. The, the German scale. One? I started investing yeah, in it because that's, that's the same one I use. It's a lot more accurate, and I found out what fish I could cull a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, because I know for a fact once I started using a scale like that, and it made me start thinking back of I've culled fish that I probably shouldn't have just by the physical appearance of them like that. Like I know I've thrown a largemouth back for a spot that I should not have. Uh, yeah, I did that with just, some just from knowing what I have now. Some of the small ones yeah. I've done that with, because they're the same size. So, like, mm-hmm. they'd be 15 and a half, which would be a good starter fish, but which they'd be a small coal. But we didn't have a scale, though, so we are just going off and fit, like, the visual. And we threw the small ones back because the spots just look bigger. Yeah. Yeah, get you a good scale and trust it. Uh, well, Jacob, we have we've thoroughly enjoyed having you on. Hope to have you back on in the future, and we can kind of follow along with uh, with the rest of your college career, and then what you do afterwards. And especially if you ever end up in Georgia, hopefully we can uh, we can line up and take off at the same time as each other. If you're getting some of the BFLs down here, um, but where uh, where can people follow you? You know, we just plugged your Instagram there. We looked at some awesome pictures. Where can uh, where can people find you? Uh, same place, JT Bass Angler on Instagram. Awesome. And one more time, which uh, what what college what college team are you on? I fish for CSU Pueblo. CSU Pueblo, awesome. And then obviously everybody, you know, you're used to hearing it, but if you want to follow along, we'll be uh, we'll be following along with Jake as well at uh, Fish Lift Eat Official on Instagram. And then, um, so any, anything that you post in there, obviously tag us so that we can follow along with your adventure. And then as well as uh, Fish Lift Eat Official on TikTok, um, kind of diving into that world too, still learning that. That's a that's a whole other adventure there, but it's fun. But, um, you know, we're going into holiday season here, so um, hopefully everybody's kind of, you know, been able to take advantage of some, some Black Friday sales and stuff that, that we're going on you know, at the end of last week, but, um, you know, you got some loved ones that you got to figure out what to get them for some, you know, get your favorite angler in the family, head over to huntlifteat.com and, you know, go get them a fish lift eat shirt, hoodie, hat, whatever you might see. Cause, uh, I promise you they will love it. And, uh, whenever you get it, make sure you tag us in it on these socials so that we can, uh, see it out there, see it on the water and see it in the, see it in action. But, uh, that's all I got for us tonight, boys, unless y'all got anything to add. Nope. No, nope. It's a pleasure having you on, Jacob. It's great to see you, and, and thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Let's uh, let's make sure that we uh, – let's get the season rolling here in the next few months, and uh, we'll get you back on and have a little bit of a you know, mid-season update or something. We can see that how good you're doing and how miserable I'm doing. That sounds good. <laughs> so for all our listeners out there we appreciate y'all jumping in uh for another episode this week and uh 
you know, we'll catch you again next Monday. But in the meantime, make sure y'all keep them lines wet. We'll catch you on the next cast. See you.